What's wrong? Oh, you just finished watching Rogue One, huh? Yeah, that's a pretty sad movie, PBDO. It'll be okay. See, we're about to go in and record a podcast and talk about Rogue One so we can process some of those feelings. Listen, PBDO, it's gonna be okay. We'll talk about it. Just open the cargo bay doors and, and we'll get started. Oh, boy. And welcome to the Cargo Bay, the conversation podcast being transmitted to you from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I am Brady C. here with my co-host, Adam B. (laughs) How's it going, Adam B.? (laughs) I'm I'm doing just fine, BC. I'm going to make it through this podcast. Was I, I staring at a sheet to remember that my line was Adam B.? And did I still somehow say, Adam B? <laughs> B. You know, I think I think you nailed it. I think it was the enthusiasm for our discussion of Star Wars. No, wait. Of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That's right. Otherwise, just known as Rogue One. I think we can drop the a Star Wars story from the official title. What about you? Yeah, yeah, get that out of here. And you know what else? A hot take right off the top, BC. Get rid of the Rogue One title. Call it something else. Call it Finding <laughs> the Death Star Plans. <laughs> <laughs> or Digital Necromancy. Yeah, yeah. Call it a Tarkin's Back Baby <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Hashtag He's a Computer. Um, <laughs> he's a yeah. computer. That's a computer man. Uh, how the heck are you? How have you been? I feel like, I feel like I haven't seen your, your face in a while. BC, I've been going crazy. Oh no? (laughs) I'm losing my mind a little bit. How are you? Um, I'm keeping it together. That's good. I'm glad, (laughs) I'm glad you are. We need, we need half of us to be. Shut up, PBDM. I, we showed him the movie for the first time, and we didn't, we didn't give him any hints about what was going to happen, and... The deaths surprised him for some reason, so he's taking it pretty hard. Yeah, PBDO is not used to that many people dying in a movie. So this is a good time, I think, to mention spoilers. We're going to spoiler Rogue One, and uh, I'll do it right now. Everybody dies. There you go. That's the big spoiler for Rogue One. That's the, the secret they were trying to keep back in December of 2016. Everybody dies, BC, except for the people who are dead in real life. <laughs> yeah, somehow they live on. They live on into the next film. Yeah, it's uh, kind of strange. So, uh, in in the spirit of the Cargo Bay podcast, let's let's pull up the data files from not too long ago, December, two thousand sixteen. What are your What are your first memories of of seeing Rogue One, a Star Wars story? Uh, I think this is the only movie I ever I ever saw in the Chinese theater in uh, downtown Hollywood. Ooh. Um, but I might not have seen this opening night, which is strange. I don't know what was going on in my life. I think I was really busy. Yeah, this definitely came at a, a much busier point in my life. Um, 
I remember seeing this at the whatever the movie theater was that was attached to the mall in Hicksville, New York, uh, which was just a few miles from where I was attending graduate school. You're talking real deal. The town's name is Hicksville. Hicksville, New York. Yeah. Next stop, Hicksville, which was ironic because like when I went out to visit the school, you know, and I flew into JFK and it's like, all right, you're going to go from JFK. You're going to get on the Long Island Railroad and your stop is Hicksville. I was like, someone's <laughs> trolling me right now because I'm from Arkansas. And they're like, welcome to Hicksville, you idiot. And I'm like, great. Um, yeah, I came to know and love Hicksville for all of its uh, beautiful Long Island scenery. <laughs> um, and they had, a, they had a mall there with a movie theater, which is where I saw Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I don't remember a whole lot of, like, hype about it. Other than, like, there's a Star Wars coming out. I'm going to go see it. I do recall it being shortly after the death of Carrie Fisher, at least when I saw it, because it very much painted that last moment of the movie and left a, a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. I've, I've since moved past that and enjoy the movie for what it is, but as the, the final going away was like, oh, felt, felt not the best way because she had just recently passed yeah that's it it was good getting some distance from it because i my um opinion of this film was largely colored by my dislike of them bringing uh back uh, peter cushing and having that weird carrie fisher moment at the end if you change those two things i think i could have had a totally different experience originally with this movie but now having some distance and accepting that (laughs) <laughs> the world isn't going to be how I like it to be most most of the time. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I still think, even at the time I enjoyed the movie, but it has, I would say, definitely grown on me um, with each rewatch. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some of, some of those notes here. But first, I do want to bring up our good friend from the New York Times, A.O. Scott. Ayo, what did you have to say about the movie? Let's see. Here's what he had to say. Millions of people. <laughs> it's me, Ayo Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what I had to say about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Millions of people will sit through this thoroughly mediocre movie directed with Basic competence by Gareth Edwards from a surprisingly hackish script by Chris Weitz and Tony Gilroy and convince themselves it's perfectly delightful. It's so much easier to obey than to resist. The spoiler warning sent by the Disney Empire instructed journalists to continue to be our partners on this journey and defiance is unthinkable even if partner is taken as a synonym for shill. Ayo, my guy. Wow. Wow. Sounds like Ayo's mad that someone sent him a press package? (laughs) It seems like someone's real upset that they got to watch the movie early and were told not to spoil it. (laughs) You you fancy dandy? (laughs) Whatever, Ayo. It's fine. 
It is it is funny because we've now I, I can't remember honestly. I'll be honest with you, BC. Yeah. I don't have a great memory for which one of these critics we've we've uh, gone to uh, is which. <laughs> it's hard to keep <laughs> keep everybody straight. But I think yeah. AO had at least a few positive things to say about you know the prequels and he said episode three was better than Star Wars. Yeah, that's a- AO is okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, I don't know, look at look at something like that and then be like, yeah, I'll objectively say this is a a mediocre hackish movie compared to other Star Wars. Like, I think it comes off as a much more competent movie than than most Star Wars uh, movies do. Yeah, I um, yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. I it it I don't know. Reading his introduction or this part of of the review. It is like, okay, it seems like he's just really mad about the state of movies, which is like the New York Times film critic. Like, I get it. Like, you're upset that films are evolving and changing and the industry is moving away from like, let's make art and turn it into cinema. And we're getting a lot of Star Wars and Marvels and that sort of stuff. But it's like, let's, you know, you know, take, take a chill pill, man. I don't think it's a hackish movie. I don't know. I don't know where he's uh, what he's thinking on that review. But whatever. Yeah, I uh, my my initial disappointment with this movie beyond not liking that they didn't just recast Tarkin um, mm-hmm. again because Peter Cushing's been gone a while, and I was just like, Long, you're yeah. really telling me that the most important thing about Peter Cushing's performance was the way his face looked. Like he can't, like that's really what it was. That you really just liked his face and body, and now you're gonna exhume this dead man to like use his likeness. It, it bothered me, but but the the thing I had criticism otherwise was just I wanted this movie to be much different than a Star Wars movie. Um, I I wanted a Star Wars story to be like way out there. Now that I've realized how much all Star Wars is exactly Star Wars, this is definitely the most different Star Wars, and it's still like it's still the same formula, basically. Um, it is still very Star Wars. They still do find a way to bring in characters that you know and love, um, <laughs> and so many you don't. So let's let's just let's get into the meat and potatoes of this here podcast. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk the light and the dark, and I, I think, I think we've already talked about it. But I want to note this as my big dark side for this movie because I'm gonna have a lot of positive things to say because I do enjoy this. The what I have labeled digital necromancy, the bringing the dead back to life using a computer. I I it like you it drives me batty. Couple reasons. One, it doesn't look particularly good in December of 2016 when we're watching it. It does definitely does not look good now. Um, I get that that's a Star Wars thing, right? We're, we're going to digitize Luke Skywalker's face. We're going to digitize everything. We're going to... Because people want them to look whatever. I wholeheartedly disagree with these decisions. I think you're right. Just recast it. They recast Mon Mothma in this yeah, movie. Yeah, works with a live with a living human being, and you know what I didn't do? Question it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you know it worked? I mean? Those scenes worked just fine. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, Mon Mothma looks great. It's been a long time since she was last in the movie. No, different actor. It's fine. Like, whatever. We got it. Like, we get over it. So the, the, like, we have to have Peter Cushing's face. 
okay, I get that his face is important. You can, there's, surely you can put a less digitized flesh suit over some poor actor who had to go out and be Peter Cushing and have their face totally erased. I mean, I think the guy and, and who was playing him looks a lot like him to start with. And I think his performance would have been more per- impressive without that. You know, like well, it, I would have judged it less when it's him coming out of Peter Cushing's literal head. I'm like, yeah, not perfect it for it trying to be this much exactly like Peter Cushing. It's not. Maybe we keep Tarkin in a super wide if we're going to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, when we, when we just show him that... from behind. Yeah. When we move into that close up coverage, I'm kind of like, oh, uh, so yeah, that it is something that completely just like, it's like a jarring moment for sure, where it just kind of was like, whoa. And then at the end, definitely, Princess Leia, like I get, you know, this is, we're setting up the very beginning of A New Hope, right? So she's got the plan, she's going to stick him in R2 with a message for old Ben Kenobi, right? The fact that we have to to turn around and see her face and have that moment, with it being like a plastic looking doll from a, a, a freshly deceased Carrie Fisher. I remember it being a, a topic of discussion at the time of like, is this tasteful? <laughs> and, and I still feel like the answer is not really. No, it's not like, just, just show the back of her head. Do what it like. I don't know why we have to whip around, spend God knows how many man hours creating that moment in a computer lab to have to have that be the final moment it's just kind of like we could have we could have done something else so the the digital PC. necromancy is a bummer for me didn't you know that pbdo worked on that scene <laughs> oh i completely forgot but it's 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 also funny because he hadn't seen the movie before the most recent. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, hey, he's he in the industry, working. you know. That's the yeah, way things work. In- that's the way he's things in- work. Right? He's an industry guy. <laughs> Sorry, Pbdo. All right. Well, VC, you already alluded to it, but here on the cargo bay, we balance the force, which means for every movie, we try to talk equal parts, light side and dark side, uh, regardless of our personal feelings. So that's our big our big dark side for both of us, I think, VC. Yeah. Right off the top. Um, yeah. weird digital people who are no longer with us. It's and I I don't know, I, I don't want to harp on the point too long. It's like I get that they're pushing technology forward in a certain way. I just question if this is the best use of it. Like the way that Luke looks at the end of Mandalorian season two was kind of like, oh, how far have they come? The way he looks in the Book of Boba Fett, season one, is better, I guess. But it's it's still kind of like, why are we doing this? Why can't we just have someone who looks kind of like the person? We put them in a costume we all know and love. And I will willingly suspend my disbelief like I do for every other moment of Star Wars, this weird space opera that exists, and say, yeah, I'll buy that. If you tell me that's the character, I can just go along with it. They're like, no. No, we're we're really going to digitize this face so it looks exactly like the person. 
it's one of the things that I'm like, this is a decision we can we can change, right? We can rethink this going forward. I think it's bad for sto- the storytelling in general, uh, but I will say I'll throw my hands up and say, okay, whatever, if you're cutting Mark <laughs> Hamill a paycheck, right? Like, if you yeah. have some buy-in from someone while they're living, whatever. I do have, like, it makes me feel bad in my gut <laughs> knowing that, you know, for, for Peter Cushing, that dude probably would, I'm guessing, would not have been like, yeah, continue to use my dead body. <laughs> As, as a shell when I'm in the grave. It's, it does bring up some very weird feelings of like, all right, we, someone called the Cushing estate. Yeah. <laughs> because I know we kind of own the rights to his face in perpetuity, but we should probably give him a heads up that we're going to bring their dead loved one back to life in a movie. You know? Like, eh. it's it's it, There's some moral questions there that, Perhaps the cargo bay is not best equipped to answer. Yep, so yeah. why, why don't we go into some light side stuff about this? <laughs> it could be the path to immortality. Yes, unlimited power. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you a light side BC because Please. it hits us right at the top of the movie. We got we got some good actors in this thing. There's some good scenes in here, BC. Ooh, yeah. We got I, Mads I, I, Mikkelsen in here. Yeah, I I noted specifically that the beginning of this movie is one of my favorite beginnings to a Star Wars movie. Specifically because it's not about, like, big space battle action. It's about, like, the tension of of what is going to be happening. And the way that it sets the stakes for the movie is really good. I'm going to compare it to something that... I don't think it's on the same level as this. But it's sim- it feels kind of like the... Uh, the Inglorious Bastards yeah, opening. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know <laughs> what I mean? Where yeah. where you've got? Uh, I think they might. They're definitely borrowing from that playbook. Oh, a little here. yeah. It felt like that for sure. But it's like that. The tension in that opening, and the I mean, it's Quentin Tarantino, so like he's gonna write stakes and tension, you know, to the nth degree. But the fact that they kind of leaned in that direction, but were able to tell it in a smaller, personal, like this is a nuclear family story. Uh, I thought sets the stage for this movie really well. Additionally, in addition to like loving the the stakes that's in there, the look of this opening scene, yeah, like it's the gorgeous. greens and the blacks are, they look so good. Yeah. Like every time I watch the opening of this movie, I'm like, man, that looks good. It, and it, it looks, looks real. It looks real. They're shooting yes. in a in a location where they have real depth of field. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, it, it, you can tell. It looks amazing. It. It's it's a great opening to the movie, and I like you know it, it ages better every time for me on a rewatch. I'm just like, oh, what a great opening to a Star Wars movie without having to do like a huge lightsaber battle and dogfight in space. It's like no, there's stakes, and it sets the tone for what this movie is going to be because it's it's all about like this is a really important moment in Star Wars history, you know, and here's what it costs. So, yeah, love the opening. Speaking of uh, lightsabers, BC, another thing on my light side of the force, no Jedi. We got no Jedi <laughs> in this movie, BC. Yeah, I think, you know, we're we're Jedi adjacent, you know? There's, I think it's nice that we can still deal with the force, because uh-huh. the force is very present in this movie, which I like a lot, 
but we don't have to have a Jedi as an yeah. avatar of the Force. It makes the universe feel bigger for once. Yes, it certainly does, as opposed to how small can we make our Star Wars universe. It's like, no, the Force can exist, and I, uh, I'll, I'll go into, you know, here's more light side. I'm going to heap some light side praise here is the Chirrut and Bays as the former, like, guardians of the wills on Jedha, yeah. you know, having a sense of, of the Force, are two of my favorite characters in this movie, but it's like, I also want, like, seeing this movie, I'm like, oh, man, I want more of their story because they're not Jedi, but they still have, you know, Chirrut for sure definitely has, a in this movie, a strong connection with the Force, and you see Bays kind of come back to it at the very end, spoiler, right before he takes it, <laughs> takes it in the chin. Um, but seeing seeing the way that, that the Force moves in a quote-unquote non-Force wielder, I guess, is really interesting. And I think is a really good expansion of, of the Force in the Star Wars universe. So I really like that element too. Yeah, I, I felt like Chirrut is... is more connected to the force than than the jedi he's like uh you know that that clip of freddie prince jr going crazy about like star wars is it's about basically everything's predestined by the force you dumb ass. <laughs> it's like oh this is a guy who understands that i guess because he's connected so deep he's connected to the wills uh yeah. that that he allows himself him just allowing himself to be a tool of the force is like his superpower his just like acceptance of fate is his is where he derives his power um and, and i and like it, it i think we're getting an expansion of kind of that i think most recently in the the book of boba fett specifically the mandalorian episodes of the book of boba fett uh-huh. of like we're clearly moving towards kind of the expansion of what what the religious almost like the religious doctrine and aspect is of some of these things, both in the world of Mandalore, but also in the force too. I think this is, is a really good playbook for where they can go with that because Chirrut's faith in the force is one of the most moving parts of the entire, of all of Rogue One for me to see the way that he does use it and to see the way that the force moves through him and the way that, you know, as as being sort of this blind guardian, how how he is connected to 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 the force and to this sort of spiritual thing that's not just about like I can jump real high and block blaster fire with a lightsaber. You know what I mean? That there is something much more spiritual to it. That you know, because Luke talks about with Grogu in his training montage, digital Luke, digital necromancy Luke. You know. Giving him, like, the Force is the thing that binds all things together, da 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 I think the more we can push towards that and use some of what Chirrut and Baze stand for in this movie, I think that's that's a more interesting play for Star Wars going forward than just, like, lightsabers. You know what I mean? So, no, no Jedi. Great point, I would say. I want to see the Force in all places, BC. I want to see it yeah. in all weird religions. Uh... Like Broom Kid! <laughs> broom kid's a good band name <laughs> broom kid is a good band name well bc i gotta throw some dark side at at this to keep things in balance here um i think this movie is confusing um in general like it's just kind of hard to follow like the scene that comes to mind is like when Bodhi is being led to saga guerra's a uh, camp 
Ger- Ger- mm-hmm. Ger- 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 Saw Guerrera. Saw Guerrera. It's like a real human name, right? Saw Guerrera. Guerrera is a real human name. That's the one I have trouble with. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's just a lot of things that are are unclear to me watching this movie the first time as like a Star Wars expert. I I know Star Wars about as well as anybody who's going to go into the theater except for, you know, praise praise be to the super ultra mega fans who have it all locked down. Um, Yeah, there's there's the super ultra mega fans. That's right. And there's you. And then 30 miles down there is where I am in the Star Wars canon. <laughs> and then 30 miles below you is a uh, sane, rational, normal person. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to follow this movie. I think it benefits from a rewatch or two. And it definitely does. Because I, I would say, like, I, I've watched this movie a bunch now. Um and so I, I don't necessarily have that same sort of like, I follow it easily just because I know where everything's going. Right. Um, but it definitely has, and similar to Solo, this had kind of a production changing of the guards of directors. Really? I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so it, it definitely had that as part of its production history. There are definitely moments on a rewatch where I kind of feel like that was a little... If not like not totally out of place, but not as smooth as some of the storytelling beats could be. Um, I think a lot of it is like with Jin Erso and Cassian and some of the some of the decisions those characters make. I think part of that may be some of the creative differences. I, I couldn't say with any certainty though, but I do feel like those two characters specifically. I mean, obviously they're like the lead characters, but I do feel like some of the beats that they have are kind of not as fluid as if it was just one creative voice throughout so there are definite bits in the storytelling where it's kind of like is that where we were originally going to go with this or did that happen because someone with a lot of importance in disney and lucasfilm said we're going to need to make some changes (laughs) the magic mouse hand the gloved mouse hand (sighs) yeah the, the beautiful gloved mouse hand um this movie, I would say, absolutely benefits from a rewatch and multiple rewatches um, because it does help some of those moments. I want to go light side. I'm going to go light side. This is a, a little one. It's a small one. The Death Troopers and the Shore Troopers design. I love them. I Gotta love get the some look. new troopers. I remember thinking it was really funny going into the toy aisle and they're just being like, like this giant death trooper and just like death trooper being written on a bunch of kids stuff which i guess is not any more concerning than stormtroopers when you think about it <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I just wasn't aware that stormtroopers were a reference to nazis when i was right. a child <laughs> yeah no and death which troopers is... are as, as well i suppose yeah isn't that funny it's like because as a kid in you know the mid 90s we're like stormtroopers in 1977, that meant something very different, and, <laughs> and it was, was very clear, like, bad. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. um, there are people like, I remember actual stormtroopers, and I'm like, well, it's a white action figure with a helmet. And they're like, no, <laughs> Nazis. And it's like, I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, but death troopers, sh- uh, stormtroopers, you looking. know, it's... it's- 
Yeah, I love it. You know, they're like, because I was, I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff. They're like, we wanted like uh, the elite squad of like, you know, the if there was a Delta squad of stormtroopers, they'd be these tall, thin stormtroopers, and they'd wear black. And I'm like, I I buy it because it looks cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the green plays into the green of like the fields too, because they've got those little pops of green. It's also beautiful. It's a very pretty to look at movie a lot of the time. Yeah, I think I think the Death Troopers and the Shore Troopers play into my overall love of the general aesthetic of this movie, which is really clean, really well designed. I think, uh, like, even Jetta, a lot of the practical stuff on Jetta looks really cool. Like, they built sets, which is always super nice to see, where it's like, we've got a big set that was built for this. I'm like, yes. The computer tech looks of the era... Um, yeah, it's really nice to go back to the OG Star Wars and be like, yeah, this is what computers look like. This is what <laughs> it still looks like 70s tech over here. <laughs> and I think this much, much more so than the prequel trilogy does a good job of transitioning the we've got a lot of great technology and money, but we can also match some of that 1977 tech and design because they're going so specifically from like two days before a new hope starts you know what i mean like we have to match a lot of the elements of what star wars looks like right however we do have um better computer technology and money so we're gonna spruce it up we were uh joking here's a little insight for you listener we were joking a little bit about the darth vader look in this movie and transitioning directly into star wars a new hope it, there's a significant <laughs> difference in the quality of the way darth vader looks in in rogue one to when he boards that ship at a new hope significant difference it's a it's a fun jumping directly from rogue one to the opening of the new hope <laughs> i think what it is is it must have been that that vady soiled himself a little bit in the, yeah. in the hallway sequence and had to change into that backup suit. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a backup suit. I think that's what we've landed on, is that something happened to the original one, and he goes backup suit for A New Hope. But, like, I get it, you know? They've got... They're putting Darth Vader in this movie. Let's make him look cool, right? Um, yeah, I, I, give them, I give them room to have a movie that looks, you know, shiny. Yeah. And... And I'll I'll do another light side since we're already talking about Vady. Seeing Darth Vader having having a Darth Vader moment of like real menace, Darth Vader that's not just like no, <laughs> but where he's like force wielding and crushing rebels like the fist of the Emperor is pretty sweet. Yeah, like, like it's it's a moment that definitely stands out the first time watching it, where people are just like, oh yeah, that's. That's Darth Vader. That's what he does. Um, this is this is what he is capable of doing. And seeing it in its like full glory in this movie is pretty sweet. I love it. It, it looks just like the Ralph McQuarrie like hallway painting. Uh, that concept art um, of him fighting. I can't remember if the the character in the foreground is supposed to be Han Solo or whatever. You know, it's from a point when the script was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> But it looks just like that, and it was cool to see Darth Vader be uh, terrifying. 
Um, and for whatever it does to, like, you know, the continuity of things, uh, as far as, like, Darth Vader's powers and his look, whatever. These are fiction movies. I, I enjoyed it. It was it was fun to watch. The end. The, the end, writ large. Like, if, I don't know. I can't help you if you're like, the, the continuity of power is not great. I'm like, can we just enjoy a thing for it being a thing? You know what I mean? Like, can we just enjoy stuff? Some people cannot, and I'm accepting that. I accept all types of Star Wars fans, except for some of them. Um, <laughs> and and as an almost <laughs> ultra mega fan, I think it's easy to forget that, again, these movies are built for people who maybe haven't seen every Star Wars 3,000 times. <laughs> you know, like. Typically, movies are not meant to be seen that many times, so trying to stand them up to reason on the 3,000th watch. I thought it was called 51st Dates because I had to watch it 50 times. I'm only on 37, so I can't help you. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, Vader's power, whatever. I like it. Um, and I want to talk... Oh, you, you throw it. You go. You do it. I'm sorry, I just got a big old beef time boiling beef. up here. Somebody Low call Dumps Low beef Dump. time? <laughs> it's Low Dumps beef time. I got the beef. Oh, can can this be an official sponsored segment? Beef time brought to you by Low Dumps Stew. <laughs> <laughs> this movie uh, spits on the legacy of Kyle Katarn, BC. Why don't you Why don't you unpack that for both me and our dear listeners? Kyle Katarn, who, who makes his first appearance in Star Wars Dark Forces, the video game, um, in level one of that game, which I don't know, takes about 15 minutes tops, you steal the Death Star plans. You, Kyle Katarn, <laughs> gun down about 100 stormtroopers um, and Imperial officers. You grab those Death Star plans. You fly out of there. Boom, Hero of the Rebellion. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I hate what this does to that legacy, BC. Um, and I don't think I can ever forgive it. Uh, so, screw you, Rogue One. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, Kyle Katarn submitted his application to be part of the official Star Wars canon. It was rejected. He was put into the Extended Universe Legacy Edition stuff, so... Um, as a strictly Disney canon person, I don't even know who you're talking about. So that's very confusing. To me. <laughs> you know, there is a funny moment. The guy that Cassian Andor shoots in the beginning of the yeah, movie, yeah, which again is a confusing moment at the beginning of the movie. Like if you knew who the character was, it might be less confusing. It's less confusing on a rewatch. But anyway, that guy looks vaguely like Kyle Katarn. And is wearing a jacket that looks a lot like Kyle Katarn's jacket. Um, so I almost wondered if that was someone being like, yeah, get this. We're killing the old cannon, buddy. You got it? We're leaving him dead in the street. Here comes Cassian. <laughs> Cassian Andor coming to Disney Plus sometime this year. Um, but yeah, yeah, obviously I'm joking uh, for the most part, BC. I, sure. I, I don't yeah. care. Um, I yeah. do love Kyle Katarn. And that's always my head canon. Yep, yep. I think that's the, that's the beauty of Star Wars is you get to play with whatever head canon you particularly want. Uh, I do want to touch on that Cassian moment at the beginning because it that is kind of a it's a moment for sure where it's like we're gonna set him up as like a mysterious scoundrel of the rebellion who kills a crippled guy. 
Um, <laughs> where it's like he particularly feels like a character that gets softened throughout this movie, right? Where it's like he's been fighting. He's been he specifically notes like I've been part of this fight my entire life. Like he's willing to do anything for the rebellion, including to shoot that guy in the very beginning. Um, but he very much has the feel of what like to me was the original. Han shot first, scoundrel type of person, where it's like, oh, this, he kind of toes the line of like, yeah, he may be a good guy, but he's willing to do some bad things. Not unlike Saw Gerrera, who's a much more extreme version of that in this movie, because Saw Gerrera is like total extremist. Um, but Cassian's character in the beginning, it is an interesting story beat where they're like, let's have him shoot someone, because as an audience person, you're like, Ooh, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this guy. Yeah, I couldn't tell if he was a good guy or not, just because tonally what we know from Star Wars is not good guys shoot other good guys. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit... That's I like At least when Han Solo does it, he's cool, you know, and, and yeah. he's not a good guy, but he's just kind of like, I'm cool space pirate. Cassian has the energy of, like, uh, I am scared and on edge. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's it. I think it definitely plays into some of the storytelling confusion that goes on there with with who this character is. But I mean, if the point is to have us call into question if he's someone who would shoot Jin Erso's dad, um, then then you know that that's part of sort of like the the larger point. I feel like that they want to make with him. There's another moment, and I have I remember reading about this online, trying to figure it out. Uh, when they had the battle in Jeddah, um, at one point Cassian shoots some of the rebel. He like there's a guy running across a bridge who's not a stormtrooper, looks to be part of the rebel cell, and he shoots that person. They fall off the bridge with a grenade, killing a bunch of other rebels too. And then he looks at two tubes and kind of winks like, yeah, I helped you out. And I'm like, no, you just killed his guys. I don't know. I've watched every time I've watched this movie, I've watched that scene and been like, what? Who is he killing and why? I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch that. Yeah, you, you all do too out there. Yeah. <laughs> and email us your responses. Thanks. We're, we're waiting for all of our listener fan mail to come pouring in. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a lot of... Never mind, I can't say that. We make jokes off the pod that are much more blue than what we do on the pod. Isn't that right, PC? I don't know what you're talking about. I just got back from worship. Um, <laughs> from generic worship. Generic worship is where I have been. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, that's a quick Cassian... Uh, side note, again, stay tuned for more Cassian Andor content from us probably later this year when his TV show comes out that we've all been begging for. Am I joking? I don't know. I just feel weird because it's a, a prequel. He was already playing a character that's much younger than he's supposed to be. Um, and now it's been six years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, a, after rewatching this, I'm more excited about it because it is like, oh, well, he's good in the role. He is, yeah. Here's another light side casting. Yeah, they I think the casting where they this, need to go. I think the casting in this movie is fantastic. A, a plus uh, aside from I don't I don't know that I love what Forrest Whitaker is doing. Um, 
He's better Bogolet! in <laughs> <laughs> He's better in Fallen Order. It is him in Fallen Order and he plays, you know, an earlier version of Saw who's more sane and uh he he does Saw Gerrera in Rebels too. Yeah. Yeah, so. you think he's better? He's better in those voice roles. I don't know what was going on on set, but it's not for me so much. I just don't buy it. Um it's I mean, I get the, and it's, it's, as a, as a Clone Wars Rebels fan, like, it's cool to see Saw Gerrera in, in live action. The, and part of his character is that, like, he is this extremist for the rebellion because of all of the, like, terrible things that have happened to him as part of the fight. And we're obviously catching him at his, like, most extreme because at the, he just kind of accepts his death as like, maybe I've gone too far, you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you probably could have got off Jedi, my guy, but it's just like, hmm, no more fighting for Sagarera. <laughs> I think I've gone too far. Um, but yeah, he, even, I think he's gone too, too far is kind of the, the problem in this movie. Brain torture beast is... Borgullet! Borgullet will know! I almost bought an of 10 signed Borgullet card <laughs> recently. I was, is that real? That's real. You could get a signature series Borgullet. I like the card because it was shot through the gate. So the card has the, oh. the gate goes across the border on the signature series. And I was like, huh, that's kind of unique. That's kind of sweet. I didn't know Borgullet had a card. That's amazing. Borgullet's autograph. That, yeah, save it for the hobby talk, buddy, because we're going to be talking about the Borgullet autograph for half an hour. Um, yeah, yeah, the casting, you were saying this is a light side thing. I, I think it's it's great. I mean, Mads, Mads Mikkelsen, and uh, who, who's the guy who plays Krennic? Um, um, ben, I'll look it up. <laughs> clearly, clearly, we're, we're experts, experts and have done Those actors all... do great jobs. Yeah, let me, let me, let me look it up, because he... I do want to give him a shout out. Um, ben, ben Mendelsohn? Mendelsohn? That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're great yeah. in it. I think Jen and Cassian are, are great in it. I think Jen has the least room to do, like, interesting stuff because, I, I don't know, that's kind of always the way the protagonist is in a in a first Star War. Um, I mean, Mark Hamill gets a great arc, and, and Jen's just got the one movie, so... I think she does a great job with it. I yeah, think for sure. It's one of those, I don't know, I would love to see more Jin stories, but, you know, how much Rogue One prequel stuff do we need? Yeah, uh, just give me more, give me this is the Rogue One movie and move on. Do, do yeah. another one where it's like, I don't know any of these characters. Uh, yeah. That'd be great. It's, it's nice to have a, a Star Wars piece of content, if we could just leave it alone. You know, where it's like, this exists as a great, Star Wars movie, and we don't have to tell Cassian Andor's backstory as much as I want to see the Chirrut and Bay show. We don't need to do it because I can get to I get to play with that in my head canon as well, and I get to have like oh as the Guardians of the Wills, this is what they look like when they're naked, you know, <laughs> when they're totally in the nude and greased up. Um, <laughs> uh, leave it in. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but like, having... hey, Medio, have you been playing with my action figures again? 
Why are they Why all are they... naked? Oh my it's god. Not... <laughs> Whatever BBDO. Um Yeah, let's let's just let's just allow a good thing to be a good thing. Um I'll give you some quick light sides uh here, BC, because Fire uh, as usual, we're cooking we're cooking long here in the cargo bay. We got X-Wings, BC. We got old school X-Wings. This was after they premiered the what the the new ones. I forget what they're. Maybe they're T-70-somethings. Uh, you mean you don't know the name? Ugh. <laughs> the model number. I mean, I do know the name, I suppose. But we get T-65 X-Wings, T-65 and all over this uh, movie. Uh, I love the bombing run. Looks oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, gonna, I like most of the the in battle sequence. Um, I'm gonna yeah. I'll throw this. I'll just package the end of my my notes here as the the final act. What I've labeled in my notes here as the cost of hope. Uh, I really enjoy. I enjoy seeing the the mission on Scarif. I love seeing that uh, dark side nitpick. A little bit. Some of it is a little like convenient. But I get it. Like, as part of, like, moving the plot forward, you have to get from A to B, from B to C, C to D, whatever. Like, and that's very clear in the storytelling. But having the space battle raging above, getting to see those ships is amazing. The dogfight that's happening, everything that's going on. You got competent leadership for the first time. Admiral Varric is is tearing it up out there in space, BC. He's on top of things. He, like... He's like the the only strategist who does anything good in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it looks, uh, and again, I, to the look of it, everything looks cool. I, Scarif looks amazing, scenic, beautiful. Apart from having a, a big imperial uh, presence there, I would love to visit. You know, vacation on Scarif, why not? Just stay away from the stormtroopers. Um, so that last act, I do love. We get. An emotional cost at the end of this movie which has upset PBDO greatly he wasn't expecting all of those deaths even though he did work on the CGI shot of Leia at the end of this movie as we've already established <laughs> um, but yeah the the fact that there is a cost to anything in Star Wars is is really great and the fact that the cost is so high and has been set up from the very beginning of the movie to the end of the movie is really nice um, so I love I love all of that final act. Um, a light side that I want to throw that I forgot earlier that ties into Vader um, and sort of the larger point as a whole, that the Empire, as a cohesive villain, I think that this is one of the most clear depictions of the Empire and sort of the bureaucracy. Yeah. And, it and makes the nuts and the bolts sense. of what it means. Yes. Uh, it, it has a sense of scale. Uh, you totally. know, when we get to uh, Rise of Skywalker, it's like, who are the what? Huh? <laughs> like, it, I don't... it makes no, the first order makes no sense, and we'll talk. We'll we'll get to talk about that. Um, but when you say a sense of scale, there is one shot specifically that in this movie I love. It's a shot of the Death Star, like where you just see it kind of in the background, and then you've got other Imperial ships that are, like, making their entrances and exits from the Death Star, and you get the scope of what it is from the interior of one of the ships, like, through the window. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like, like, oh, the Death Star is huge and terrifying, and it's just a, a quiet, menacing presence that that gets, you know, 
we we know why we need to blow that thing up <laughs> because <laughs> we see the destruction that it's capable of in this movie. But the fact that it is just like it's just looming in the background of this one particular shot is is like oh that's a really good effective use of of the Death Star. You don't have to be like. It's got to be so scary and blowing things up, which they do. But having it just sitting there while ships are just coming and going, like, this is the normal operation of this giant thing in space, is as terrifying as it, like, fire up the lasers, you know what I mean? So I think as part of, like, the Empire and the arsenal and the threat of what the Empire is, I think this movie nails it. Yeah, right down to K2SO, which we we haven't really mentioned, uh, makes the Empire more terrifying. Uh, uh, but that'll be my final dark side, actually, BC. Great performance, great robot, great character. I'm a, I'm good with K2SO, but I don't like that K2SO just feels like a human to me. Um, it's kind of like the, the robot in Solo, where I'm like, or the droid in Solo. Uh, or it's like, What's okay. What's a robot? They're just what people. robots? What's uh, a robot? I think they call them robots at some point <laughs> in the canon. Um, Star Wars, a robot story. <laughs> but but yeah I, I like my droids to be a little more two-dimensional for the most part but whatever he's good in the movie um great perf- again great performance way to go uh, alan tudyk always always a pleasure to have alan tudyk in something the two the two man the two the the, the, the two the two-dinator. um i feel like we've been very positive about this movie so i'm gonna dump one last dark side on it did we really need panda baba and what's his name yeah, what the, just who did they put in that suit that they were like, we can't cut this when it very clearly is like not good. <laughs> like it's, it's not a good scene. Not not necessary. Again, just another way that Star Wars wants to make the world feel a little bit smaller by including characters that we can all go, oh, look. Yeah. Um, didn't need them, but whatever. It it doesn't grind my gears that much and doesn't take away from the overall satisfaction. Yeah, I would say movie. it would have been. Fine if they didn't say the exact lines from A New Hope or whatever. Fine. If you want to have a an obscure character wander through the background, great. Uh, if you like, want to have them quote themselves, get, get the uh, hell out of here. Uh, Chopper famously makes an appearance. Uh, oh, Chopper really? of Rebels fame. Rolls, you see, uh, you get a Chopper cameo on the Rebel base rolling around on Yavin, I believe. Okay. So. But not a not a not a big like hey look it's chopper moment. Um, <laughs> hey look it's the American choppers. <laughs> oh look it's Polly. <laughs> Polly is standing right in the hogs in the outer space. <laughs> I do want to edit, you know, the classic uh, X-wing <laughs> taking off sequence. <laughs> Just <laughs> it's Polly. Polly's <laughs> coming. Look, he's done that welding again. He's got the X-wing chopper. <laughs> Him and his dad are gonna fight about who's better at the business. <laughs> his uh, dad and the, his Darth Vader. Yeah. Oh um, man, God, what a better version of Star Wars that would be. <laughs> There's some headcanon for you. It's the mashup. We American didn't know we Chopper people. Wars. Star Wars, American Chopper, a <laughs> Star Wars story. Sorry, I forgot uh, this podcast isn't just an inside joke for us. <laughs> it it kind of is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> Let's talk marketing strategy after we finish recording. Um, 
All right. Are you ready for this? I'm about to get real professional. And that was us balancing the force. What a great job we did, personally and professionally. And now on to the final judgments. Uh, so, as we do with all Star Wars movies, uh, we got to make some, some decisions here about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Most importantly, are we going to send this movie to the trash compactor? We're going to sell it to the jobless for parts, or is it staying in the cargo hold forever? Tell you what, BC, as far as I'm concerned, we got to keep this one in the cargo hold, baby. We just didn't have enough time to talk about all the things I like in this movie. Uh, we got Darth Vader's castle. It didn't even come up. Didn't even, didn't even, we got to, you got to leave a little meat on the bone in case we ever need uh, more content. Leave some uh, marrow in the tube for the later sucking. That's right. Leave some marrow in the tube for the later sucking. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. We've got to keep this in the cargo hold. Uh, I am going to I'm going to hold on to this one forever in the cargo bay as a thoroughly enjoyable piece of Star Wars content. Uh, so we're keeping uh, Rogue One: A Star Wars Story in the cargo hold. Now, who are you giving your prestigious Ewan McGregor award to? It hasn't really stuck out to me before, but this last time watching it, every time Mads was on, uh, I was like, man, he's killing it. This guy's killing it. I love his uh, love his hologram speech. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a fun character and a, a fun concept. So I'm gonna give it to Mads. Congratulations, Mads! You have joined very prestigious company as a winner of the Ewan McGregor Award. I am going to give my Ewan McGregor Award. It's a split decision. You can't break them apart. Cheer it and bays. You know what? Suck it, Mads. That's where mine's <laughs> going too. You got enough awards with all your your fancy actor shelf. <laughs> Cheer it and bays. Uh, so sorry, Mads. You are no longer in prestigious company. You're out of the club. Donnie Yen is that the the name of uh... Donnie Yen? Yeah, the guy who plays Ip Man in every Ip Man movie. Um, it's Donnie Yen, and as Baze Malbus, we've got uh, Win Jang. It's cool to see some actual uh, martial arts in a Star War, um, and also cool to see that weapon they gave Baze. I like that, that uh, charge blaster. Uh, that thing's sweet. Yep. Again, a lot of meat on the bone for marrow from the hole for us to suck on in this movie. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that I like about it, and, and we can unpack it again at a later date. But all that to say... Seems like we really like Rogue One. Uh, it is in the cargo hold forever. We've got some favorite characters that we don't need any other content for. Lucasfilm and Disney. Just if you're listening, let them be. And let them exist in my head, Kanan. Yeah. Um, and now, for our personal rankings. Where does Rogue One fall for you in the, uh, the, the rankings of the Star Wars movies we have watched to this date? Easy peasy BC, it's going to be number one in my slot as Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, although I think it's followed by probably a much better movie overall, Star Wars, or excuse me, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and then we got Episode 2, and then we have Episode 1. Uh, I'll start from the bottom, which is a movie you even excluded, which is Solo, another oh, Star wow. Wars story. wow, okay. <laughs> Um, wow. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah, Solo. Uh, did I put Solo ahead of episode one? No, it's, it was the bottom of both of our lists. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go in the 
Bottom Spot Solo, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, Rogue One, and then Revenge of the Sith. I do think Rogue One is objectively better than Revenge of the Sith. But it felt like watching talking- a Bond movie or something, like a modern Bond where it's like, oh, this is kind of just like competent. <laughs> it's a it's a competent like spy war thriller. You know what I mean? Um, that being said, I do still love watching Revenge of the Sith. I just get so much enjoyment out of watching that movie for all of its quirks and foibles and things that are not particularly great about it. It's just so much more enjoyable for me to watch. Rogue One does take a toll, as PBDO now knows. It's It can be a bit of an emotional rewatch. Oh, boy. So, now that we've balanced the Force, we've revisited December of 2016, we've given away the prestigious Ewan McGregor Award, and we've ranked all of our films, that's all we've got for Rogue One, a Star Wars story for you here today on the Cargo Bay. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I've been BC, here with... Adam B. And don't forget, PBDO. Get us out of here, PBDO. PBDO. See you next time. Bye forever.